When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, and this is speaking of the, uh, the Apostle Paul, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage, and we ask that you would give us wisdom as we reflect upon what this means, both in its original context and what it means for us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to be looking at what it means to be a welcoming church. And you might think, wait wait a minute, I've heard this sermon already uh, this year, uh, twice, three times, maybe four times. Well, the fact is, for 2018, I've really been focusing on that part of our church mission that we as Queen Street Baptist Church are a welcoming community. And so I've looked at a number of different passages that reflect upon that. And so if uh, you feel like I've been, you're a little bit tired that I've been going on and on and on about being a welcoming church, this is the last sermon uh, for this year that we're going to be doing that on. And I want to promise you that uh, in 2019, I'm going to be going on and on and on about what it means to be growing. So just be aware, that's where we're going with that. So as I've been talking about uh, being a welcoming church and and, uh, sharing in sermons and in other ways of communication, you may have gotten the impression that what is happening is it is natural for me to talk about being welcoming because I'm a naturally welcoming person. And basically what I'm asking is for you as a congregation to be exactly like me, that welcoming is natural and and that's the way it is. Well, I want you to know that that is not the case, that there are many times when being fully welcoming does not come natural to me, that there are situations in which I am uncomfortable with certain people and that the situation just might cause uh, some anxiety for me. So I don't want you to ever think that this is something that comes natural to me. In fact, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about uh, a number of months ago, I guess it was uh, in the in the summer, uh, things were much warmer, and some of you may remember that we had a, a gentleman come into the, uh, into the church building about halfway through the, the service, and uh, he was walking down the, uh, the aisle, waving his arms around. And, and he, at that point, I'm starting to get a, a little bit uncomfortable. And he, he uh, came all the way down the aisle here. And in fact, he eventually uh, came and, and sat uh, right uh, here in this chair uh, during the service while I was uh, standing at the pulpit. And, uh, and I wasn't sure what to, to make of that. And eventually, he jumped off the uh, the platform, and that might have even have made you uncomfortable there, having the, the pastor jump off the platform during a sermon. But imagine how I felt uh, during that service. Now, I, I don't want you to think that what I'm saying here is that I 
uh, dislike people who suffer from mental illness. The, the, the man who was here, uh, he was agitated because he was trying to communicate with me uh, with uh, mental telepathy, and it wasn't working, and it was, it was really agitating him. And, and eventually we had to uh, call the police and, and have him taken to, to a hospital. But it's not about me being uncomfortable with people with mental health issues. I've had my own mental health issues at certain points in my life. Many people in my family uh, suffer from mental illness in one way or another. I've uh, had the, uh, the honor of, of, of uh, being with people and, and ministering and, and just visiting and, and walking with people with mental illness. That's not what was going on. It was about my own need to be in control, to have things uh, peaceful and orderly, and to have someone uh, walk in and, and try to communicate with me in that way made me uncomfortable. I didn't really feel welcoming. That wasn't the initial uh, feeling that I had when I was in that situation. And it's, it wasn't about him. I, I can say... Uh, in, in confidence that uh, our, our own situation with our children with autism, there are times that that makes us uncomfortable. When we, especially when we go to uh, visit a church that they may not know us as well. Like you have to remember, our son Logan in the middle of a service uh, once just yelled out, "Just kill me now!" So uh, that was uh, just something you don't expect to hear in the middle of a, of a service, but that's what he did. So those are things that that make me feel uncomfortable. What I want you to do is right now is to think about who is it that makes you feel uncomfortable? What kind of person would make you feel uncomfortable? I actually did a, uh, a little poll on social media asking people uh, what kind of people would their congregation struggle the most. Not to say that they would uh, shut the doors or, or would refuse to allow such people into the church, but who would they struggle with? And by far, the majority of, uh, of the people who responded uh, said that it was transgender people, that they would find the most difficult to welcome. Not to say that they wouldn't try, not to say that they, they wouldn't uh, be allowed to come in, but that that would be a struggle for people in their congregation. And the, the fact is, there's, it could happen at, at any time. In fact, uh, at our Saturday night service, there's a, a transgender person who comes out at, uh, at certain times. Uh, I have family who are transgender. It could happen at, at any time. So I want you right now to use your imagination, okay? I want you to imagine right now that someone is just walking into the church, they're sitting down beside you, and you haven't looked at them yet, uh, but I want you to think in your mind that as you turn to look at this person who has just sat down with you, what kind of person would have made you feel the most uncomfortable? I want you to think about that and to hold on to that thought and to those feelings that you have. We're going to switch gears and take a look at this this story of the Apostle Paul. And this is taking place at a time where he was going by the name of Saul, which would have been his uh, Hebrew name. Paul would have been his Roman name. And so Saul, before he became a Christian, was a persecutor of the church. He was a very zealous Jew. Uh, He was not someone who hated God. He loved God. And he was doing what he thought that God wanted. And that was to put a stop 
to what was taking place with these followers of Jesus. And we shouldn't think of this as a uh, conflict between two religions, between uh, Judaism and Christianity, because at this point, uh, they are not two religions. Uh, The followers of, of Jesus are one group within Judaism. And so Paul would not have taken the time to go after the followers of, of Zeus or, or of Osiris or someone else. Uh, but they, he saw these followers of Jesus, these people who were claiming that Jesus was the Messiah, and he wasn't just the Messiah, but he was actually divine in some way. Uh, to him, this was terrible blasphemy, and he had to do something about it. And so he perse- persecuted the church even to the point of death. He caused people to die because of this. He was so zealous in his religious faith. Well, eventually, on the road to Damascus, he met Jesus face to face, and that completely transformed him. He, it just There was no arguments that could be made in the face of Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, standing in front of him. And that completely changed Paul. He became a follower of Jesus at that moment. And so it's obvious that that at that point, Jesus was fully accepting Paul with no questions. Paul was now a child of God. He was adopted into the family. But that doesn't mean that all of the other Christians are going to accept that just as easily. And so Paul eventually finds himself in Jerusalem, which is the, at that point the, the center of the Christian church. That's where all the other apostles are, the, all the other leaders of the church are. So it's natural for him to want to connect with them. So he goes and he tries to connect with these Christians. But they're not interested. They don't want to talk to him because they're afraid of him. They don't know what he's doing. He could be just doing a trick. This might be a tactic of Paul just to have access to the leaders of the church and to be able to uh, cause them to be arrested and executed and to put a stop to the church right there. And you can imagine uh, how they must have felt. We can't say that these people were, were terrible for being afraid of Paul. Imagine if we had someone come in right now and say, you know, I just want to share my testimony that uh, for the last uh, 10 years I have been uh, fighting with ISIS and have been uh, doing, uh, been involved in, in uh, uh, killing Christians through ISIS in the Middle East. But now I'm a Christian and I'm just here to come and, and, uh, and also I want to be one of the greeters at the church. Uh, we would be a little bit nervous if, if something like that happened. And that's kind of what's going on uh, with the Jerusalem church. They're afraid of Paul. And so they don't know what they're going to do. And then out comes Barnabas. And Barnabas isn't actually his name. It's a nickname, and it means uh, son of consolation or son of encouragement. And he lives up to that name by stepping in and taking a chance, taking a risk with Paul and reaching out to him and bridging the gap between Paul and the Jerusalem church. And he's able to, to make that connection, to bring him into the fellowship and to bring them together. And that is an amazing story for us to, to think about, that Barnabas uh, would be able to do such a thing. Uh, imagine if he had never done that. How would 
Christian history have been different? Uh, how would even our New Testament be different if Barnabas hadn't done something like that? So I find this an inspiring story. But inspiring in what way? It can be inspiring and in kind of giving us the, the warm fuzzies so that we can look at that and say, oh, isn't that great? Barnabas, he was just a, he was just a swell guy. Uh, yeah, good for him for doing that kind of thing. Or is it inspiring in the, in the sense of making us do something different, uh, changing uh, the way we act? And that's what we're going to take a look at. I want to look at five different things that we find in this story and what that means for us. The, the first thing I want to share is that it is normal for us to feel uncomfortable in certain situations uh, and with certain people. Depending upon our background, uh, it can be very difficult. I'll tell you that when uh, I first entered into ministry, do you want to know the, the kind of people that, that I felt the most uncomfortable with? It was people in nursing homes. And the reason for that was that when I was uh, very young, in fact, around the, the age of, uh, of faith, maybe a little bit younger than that, uh, my grandmother was in a nursing home, and it was a, a time before nursing homes were regulated, and the situation and the living conditions in that nursing home were, were terrible. And uh, the things that I saw in that nursing home made me... Uh, have these really negative feelings being around people in nursing homes. And for me, that's what I was uncomfortable with. When uh, I was uh, preparing uh, in ministry and I was doing visitation, I could go to hospitals and visit with people who were dying, no problem. But going into nursing homes at first were really difficult for me because of my own background. That was the group that I was struggling with. So it is normal for us to feel, in certain circumstances, a sense of discomfort. In fact, I would say that, that, was, that that's a good thing, because if we're not feeling any discomfort, that probably means that we're sticking around people who are exactly like us, and we are putting up walls to keep anyone different away. So if we feel some discomfort, it is normal, and it, it's probably a good thing as well. The second thing that we find in this passage is that there's a time when the church needs to get over the fear. It needs to get over the fear of what's going on. Now, that's not necessarily the same as getting over the discomfort. It is okay still to feel a little bit of discomfort. That's going to take a while to, to overcome. But the church needs to get over the fear. It needs to just at some point say, enough is enough, and we are going to move forward. Uh, I, I think about this in terms of uh, this church and the Out of the Cold uh, program. Uh, I'm sure that when uh, that decision was first made, uh, there, were, there was a lot of thoughts. There were probably a lot of misgivings. What's that going to look like? Uh, what's going to happen when we do this? And there was still some discomfort, I'm sure. In fact, I'm sure that there's still some discomfort even today because we still don't know what's going to happen. We don't know, uh, is there going to be damage to the church when we, we show up the next morning? We don't know these things. But at some point, the church got over the fear and said, okay, we are going to welcome these people into our building and we are going to provide a safe place for them and you know, come what may, we're just going to do it. And so that's a step that the church needs to take. The third thing 
that we find in this passage is that the church needs a Barnabas. The church needs a son of encouragement. What we find in here is that there's these Christians, and it's probable that some of these Christians are thinking, well, maybe we should give Paul a chance. You know, maybe he really has converted. Maybe he really is a follower of Jesus. But they're kind of humming and hawing and probably looking at the ground and not sure what to do. But eventually, Barnabas steps in. And he's the one who takes the risk and begins to interact directly with Paul. And that's what churches need. They need a Barnabas or many Barnabas. They need that one person to step forward. When someone comes into the church who's a a bit different, uh, or just have a person who just comes into the church, we need that one person to go over and to connect with them. There are many times... Uh, that I am visiting with people in this congregation, people who have been here uh, for many years, and they'll tell me about that one person that they connected with at the church immediately who really made a difference. Someone who stepped out of their comfort zone, maybe they were uh, talking with their, their friends, and all of a sudden they walked away from their friends and came over and talked to this newcomer and welcomed them into the church. Uh, imagine what kind of change that could have. And so we need people to take on this role as a Barnabas, being willing to to look at the people who come into the church and connect with them. Uh, And even if that means taking a risk, you don't know what they're like, you don't know what they're interested in, you don't know what their background is or, or where they're coming from, but you're taking the risk and you're doing it. Uh, The next thing that I I see in this is that there is a unique rule for the newcomer once they are welcomed in. And we often, when we look at this story, we stop with the, the, the part where Barnabas brings Paul into the church. But what we find right after that is that Paul begins to minister to the Hellenistic Jews in Jerusalem. That is, uh, the Jews who speak Greek. These would be people who probably uh, went off uh, from Judea uh, for some time, and now we're coming back, and their mother tongue would be Greek and not Aramaic or Hebrew. And this is significant, because if we know the background of Paul, Paul was not originally from Jerusalem. He was from Tarsus, which was a very Hellenistic or, or Greek city. And it was a city that was uh, emphasizing Greek learning. And so Paul was situated ideally to minister to these Hellenistic Jews in Jerusalem. And that would have been a role that would have been completely missed if he had not been welcomed into the church. And think about what that means today. When we welcome someone who's a bit Uh, who has some kind of difference from us, whatever it might be, maybe from uh, a country that we're not familiar with or a background that we're not familiar with or whatever, we welcome them in. They now have a whole context of people that they are especially positioned to reach out to and to share the gospel with. That's an amazing thing. And we miss out on that if we do not welcome the person who is different or who might be initially difficult. Now, the last thing I want to share, it's not exactly obvious. You have to look pretty carefully to see it. But we see some development in the church family in this story. And the way it works is that uh, at the beginning, 
the Christians in the Jerusalem church, they're described as disciples. And disciples is sort of the, uh, the base description of what a Christian is. Every Christian is a disciple. That's the, you come in as a disciple. And then the next description of that is them as apostles. Now, they're not really living up to the rule of apostle. Apostle means one who goes out. And not only are they uncomfortable going out, they're actually uncomfortable letting people in. And so they're not really living up to that title. But the, the next time that they're described, it's another word again. And some, some translations uh, translate it as believer. But literally what it says is brother. Brother is the, the real translation that's there. And I think that that is is important. That we're seeing here that they've gone from being just disciples to being brothers and sisters. They are becoming a family. And we actually see that in Paul's conversion where we see that uh, that God sends Ananias to go and talk to Paul. And this is the first Christian who's talking to Paul after his conversion. And he doesn't want to go see Paul because uh, he's afraid of him, just like we've been talking about these others. But when he goes and visits with Paul, he describes him and calls upon him as brother. There's a relationship that is going on. And that's what takes place when we welcome the stranger into the church. There is development in the family. Now, I do not want to pretend that being a truly welcoming church is an easy thing. Uh, now, it's, it's fairly easy when we welcome people who are just like us, but when we start welcoming people who are different than us, it's a little bit more stretching. Now, I am thankful that uh, the tradition within our church is to welcome people who are different. So uh, even as I talk about people uh, welcoming people who are just like us, I don't know who just like us is here, because when you look around, we all look so different, uh, whether ethnically or age-wise uh, or ability-wise or anything else. And yet there's always room for us to stretch. And I keep coming back to this, not because we're doing a bad job at welcoming. I would say we're doing a fantastic job at welcoming. But if we're not reminded of what the scriptures say, then we can easily slip away from that. I want to leave you with uh, this question. What happens when we welcome the stranger? And we can look at that from two perspectives. What does it mean to the newcomer who comes to this church when they are truly welcomed? Not just uh, tolerated as being a part of our worship service, but truly welcomed. What does that mean? Uh, who knows what's going on in their, in their life? Who knows what they're coming from? That could be life-changing for them to find a place where they are welcoming. But I also want to ask, what does that mean to our congregation when we're welcoming? How does that transform us? As our family grows, as our family deepens, what happens to us? Really, there's a blessing on all fronts. Let us pray. God, we thank you for what you are doing in this church. We thank you that we are a welcoming church, that we have identified that as a part of our mission that we want to do. But it's something we do not just because it's on a piece of paper. We do because we truly believe 
this is what is important. We thank you, Lord, for the diversity that is found uh, in this congregation, the diversity that's found within this building right now, that we have people of all ages and we have people of all uh, ethnic groups and languages and abilities and, and so many other things. We thank you for that, God. We pray that you would help us to continue to work in that direction. And Lord, uh, may each one of us be a Barnabas uh, who just doesn't sit and and watch and and hope that things would be better, but who would step out and when they see that new person in the church would be active in, in interacting and welcoming them and bringing them into the family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.